Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an ass scene on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there. My name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is a, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, one of those, AKA the strategy man. And if I'm gonna describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need from leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobsled team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgoff, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what 
makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Hi, I'm Dove Barron. I am the Dragonist, and I'm your host. So please, let me personally welcome you to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. Find out how you can hire me as a speaker or strategist for your organization. Go to DoveBaron.com. That's D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. Here's something I find myself constantly curious about these days. Where hard science is meeting what used to be called soft skills, there never used to be a bridge, but I believe there's a huge bridge now, and that really leads me to my guest for this binge-worthy episode. Stanford neurosurgeon, neuroscientist, compassion researcher, New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, all terms that have been used to describe our next guest, James R. Dotty, MD. He is known throughout the world for promoting the value and of compassion. He's a good friend with many spiritual and religious leaders, most notably a guy you may have heard of. What was his name now? Uh, oh, yeah, Dalai Lama. Um, he's the best-selling author of a New York Times bestseller called Into the Magic Shop, a neurosurgeon's quest for discovering the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart which is now available actually in 40 languages. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Dr. James Dolly. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. We waiting for the fires of hell to come and be with us. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sitting near the, the lapping fires that are nearby. <laughs> James, where I always like to start a show is to ask my guest, what are you finding yourself most curious about these days? Uh, actually, as you probably know, in the face of the pandemic, uh, there's a lot of uh, mental health issues. And frankly, mm -hmm. there were a lot of them before. Uh, this is exacerbated, though. So uh, I've actually been looking into starting a uh, mental health company that utilizes a virtual human in the context of uh, techniques to determine emotional states as a method of uh, treating stress, anxiety, and uh, depression, actually. So treating stress, anxiety, anxiety, depression with AI? AI, natural language processing, a virtual human, uh yeah mm -hmm. wow so how can you give us a little bit more on that that's pretty exciting stuff tell us a little bit yeah. more about it well uh it turns out that uh, first of all stress anxiety de early depression or situational depression uh, can be treated if they're jumped on the question yeah. is how, how do you determine that and there are interesting ways to do that one is something called heart rate variability uh, and when you have an increase, uh, that means actually you're relaxed. If you have a decrease, that means you're stressed. Uh, you can also utilize voice intonation and actually interpretation of facial expressions. And this can actually all be done on a cell phone. Wow. Uh, you can then uh, take a virtual human avatar, if you will. And if you imbue that with the ability to interpret uh, facial expressions and 
appropriately mirror another's behavior and ask them a series of questions uh, and do what we call active listening, you can actually have those people solve their own problems and uh, uh, sort of calm down and uh, function better. So is this using stuff like Ackerman's, like we talked about Paul Ackerman's work for facial expression along with brainwave patterning or how is it? Well, you could use you know, interpretation of brain waves, but it doesn't have to be that sophisticated. I mean, literally, you can use a, a cell phone that has the information that Paul has studied for so many years to determine one's emotional state. But amazingly, voice intonation uh, can can also uh, be very quickly assessed to determine how much stress is in your voice. Yeah. So these techniques sort of given in uh, the system a determination of where you are at mentally. And then the system just begins with a query uh, of how you're doing, asks a series of questions. And actually, uh, as you probably know, with a hotline, uh, um, you know, let's say a suicide hotline, mm -hmm. uh, it's all through a pattern of questions and it brings you down, if you will, and not that uh, the people we're dealing with are suicidal, but my point is there's a pattern to how you uh, uh, interact with someone in a state like this. The other interesting thing is for many people, they feel much more comfortable, believe it or not, telling a avatar their problems yeah. than a normal human because there's no judgment, there's no fear they're going to tell somebody. And so a number of studies have shown uh, this to be the case. And, you know, I have people go, well, that, that's not possible. It won't happen. But think about this. If you've ever done virtual reality, which I'm sure you have, and you've been on that plank above a thousand feet, you look down, right? There are very, very few people who will step off. Even though you know you're in a room, it's carpeted, there's no fear, you will not step off. And the point is that when you set up these mechanisms, they bypass your conscious state. Yeah. And you have to respond emotionally. And this is basically what we're talking about with this technology. That's really fascinating. I mean, you know, so again, I don't know what you know about my background, but in 1990, I fell off a mountain and got smashed to pieces. Yes, I, I saw the pictures. Right. Pretty, huh? Yeah. yeah. You're much better today. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, thank God I had a couple of decent surgeons along the way. Um, but to this day, if I'm watching somebody do something at a height in a movie, get the wobblies, get the yeah. wobblies. Back of the knees go tingly. I have to start rubbing the backs of my legs. You yeah. know, and of course I'm safe. I'm on the freaking couch watching a movie on my screen. I know I'm in my living room. And I think that that's one of the things about the, 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 the brain's function and the mind's function that people don't get. I mean, I hear people say all the time, and I think it's a really ridiculous statement. I'm very logical and rational. I'm not a very emotional person. Of course you are. Everybody's emotional. That's how it works. You're, you're actually more unconscious than you are conscious. So what, what would you say to somebody who, who even, because they're probably going to bump up against that idea. Like, so you want me to go talk to AI or to a, you know, a, an avatar about my feelings of anxiety what, what would you say to them? Well, again, uh, as you just expressed yourself, I mean, look at the power, 
you know, you've obviously had this negative experience and it's had an impact on you. But any of us, if we go to a movie and depending on what's being shown, it has an emotional effect on us. Yeah. And it shows us even in the face of being in control, we're not really in control. And I think yeah. uh, the virtual reality is a classic example itself. So <clears throat> it's funny because I spent a fair amount of time jumping off the, the plank, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it takes a lot to do the first time. And I think that, uh, again, I don't care who you are in general, you're not going to jump off that plank. And the same thing is going to be true when you interact with this avatar. And uh, a number of studies have been done with these avatars or robots. And, uh, and in this case, I'm talking about robots, but uh, uh, in Japan with loneliness, uh, I mean, even though you know it's a robot, you're talking to it, you're having an interaction with it, and you feel better about yourself. And and look even today with uh, uh, Hey Google or Siri or any of these other things, you know it'll it'll say something. You'll go, oh, thank you, or all of the. So we are uh, uh, actually, in fact, having these discussions. Uh, it may not be clear to us yet, but indeed we are. Yeah, it's more subtle right now. Yeah. When you um... You know, talking about jumping off the plank in, in, in a VR situation is, you know, I don't know what the research has been done, but is the research done with that find that that helps to change the neural pathways that, that, that it can break the old neural pathways and maybe overcome like fear of heights or whatever it might be? Sure. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's a, actually a fellow at Stanford whose name I can't remember at the moment, but he's done an immense amount of work on, uh, changing behavior utilizing these uh vr techniques yeah because i mean the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between which is real and what is felt as real or you know um so i mean you know the saying back in the days of napoleon hill which you know was you know the mind doesn't know the difference between that which is real and that which is imagined but it's not just imagining and i've always said I tried to explain it to people it's not good enough for you to imagine it you have to feel it and in a VR world, it's very real, right? You feel yes. it. And as you said, even though you cognitively know, I'm in my living room, right? Cognitively. Right. And even if somebody said to you cognitively, you're in your <laughs> living room, now step off the plank, it's still like, ah! No, no, uh, it's absolutely correct. And, and in some ways, uh, actually, I, I'm doing another book called uh, Out of the Magic Shop, The Power of Intention. And in some oh. ways it talks about these issues of how do we get access to that inner part of us that allows us to change and overcome the barriers that frankly are very often self-created. So can we go to that for a minute and then, sure. then, then we'll sort of pivot back. So, you know, cause intention's an important thing, but I think that Intention is one of those things that, again, is, you know, we, we had talked about this in a previous conversation, that intention is one of those things that kind of gets thrown around. You know, oh, yeah, you know, it's important to have the right intention. What does that mean? You know, it, it's one of those, you've got to love yourself. Okay, it's not working. <laughs> you're, you're not rubbing hard enough. I'm not rubbing my nipples hard enough. All right, so talk to us about intention in the context of where you're coming at it from. Well, uh and I have to put it in the context of good and bad intention. Obviously, you know, if you have bad intention, you know, that's a hard thing to 
overcome and to make manifest because you know if you're hurting someone or taking advantage of someone you know obviously that's a bad thing but in in the context of what i'm talking about which is intention that improves your health uh, improves you but also hopefully impacts others in a positive way you know i think um, that's a good thing and i think having those manifesting those desires uh, is important. Essentially, everything we do every day is the creation of intention. Mm -hmm. It's whether we have the manifest the way we wish and whether we've set the stage for that to occur. And therein lies part of the problem because most of us, as an example, I'll I'll tell you my own failing today. Uh, You know, I said, well, I'm going to fast today. And, uh, and then the next thing I know, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, uh, you know, you failed your intention. Uh, uh, but if you stick true to these, uh, you can manifest anything. You know, I ran into a woman recently, and she's, I think, 63 or 64. And she had been running a marathon once a week for the last, I think, 20 or 30 weeks. And she only started three years ago. What? Like, yes. And I'm like, how the hell are you doing this? And, and this is, you know, she said, I one day decided to improve my health and I just started walking slowly. And then I started jogging and now I'm doing this. And my friends encouraged me and I did a marathon and et cetera, et cetera. And so she's done this incredible transformation and this type of transformation is available to each and every one of us if we want to go there. Uh, But, you know, for most people getting there, therein lies the challenge. But if you look at people as an example, um, you know, self-hypnosis or hypnosis, Mm -hmm. I mean, how are people able to, you know, do these incredible things? Well, because they've overcome the limitations of their conscious mind and they're now in their subconscious and they place that there and then it manifests. You look at people who, um, Wim Hof is another, do you know him? The, I do, yeah. Uh, you know, these types of people who have this clear intention and they go forward. And again, these are not necessarily special people. They're ordinary people who have extraordinary ability to manifest. Now, I have a caveat with that, with the statement that people like Wim and Olympic athletes that is a convergence of their genetic predisposition mm-hmm. with their interest, which allows them to now excel. But right. so as an example, I probably will never be a, you know, uh, marathon runner in the context of winning races all the time, but it doesn't stop me from becoming a marathon runner. It just stopped no. my, my genetics limit that, but I can certainly do that. And I think anyone uh, can do that. They just have to believe. And it's, you know, how to get people to believe. And well, you bring, I, it, you bring up an interesting subject there because it's one that I have spoken a lot about and I think that is grossly misunderstood and often uh, wrongly used or incorrectly used, not wrongly, but incorrectly used. And that is that people will say, well, you've just got to have the discipline. And I don't know that that's true. Um, I, I certainly don't see discipline the way other people see discipline. Um, I don't see that this lady you just described who runs marathons 
was doing it out of discipline. Um, so I, what I want to understand from your point of view is what is the distinction for you between quote intention and quote discipline? Well, you know, I think when people say discipline, they lay out a plan and then they go, you know, every aspect of it. And that I presume does require intention. I mean, uh, discipline, but I think discipline is different from having a crystal clear view of where you want to be and getting there. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with discipline per se. It has to do with the clarity of your intention and then that drives everything else. And that could include massive discipline, but it may not at all. But discipline in and of itself, um, from my point of view, presumes resistance. Um, and, I, and, and therefore willpower, right? And so you're willing yourself through something versus uh, something else, which I'll talk about in a moment, but that that resistance is uh again a neurological response right you know um the the amygdala is is going wow we're gonna die here let's not do any of that shit um you know and and even if that discipline is simply not eating the donut i mean as you know it it, you know i'm obviously preaching to the choir but that's what i think that where the 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 idea gets lost is that people will say, I don't have the discipline. And, and I'll just tell you what mine is. I say, you don't need discipline at all. And they go, well, what do you mean? I say, you need one thing and one thing only. And they go, what's that? Meaning. And they go, what do you mean? Meaning. You have to decide that this, whatever this is, matters more than the resistance. That's meaning. It matters that much to you that you, you will do it. And I said, you know, we've all heard the story of the old lady who picks up the car and releases the child. And there's enough adrenaline and a bunch of other neurochemicals going off that allow the person to do these crazy things. They don't sit there and go, I'm going to will myself to make sure I can do this. It's going to be very heavy, but I can, I know if I focus enough, I can do it. That's not an intention. It's not a discipline. It's meaning. It's emotional driven meaning and power from that. Maybe you disagree. Yeah, damn it. No. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, no, actually, You're I think... You're a complete uh, wanker dog. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what the fuck that means, but I'll go with it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so I think in some ways we're saying the same thing in the sense right. that you're right. I mean, with discipline, there is this resistance. And in fact, if you look at addiction uh, issues and, uh, you know, knowing these fairly well myself... Uh, you know, I'll tell you that, you know, people say, well, I'm white knuckling it. And what they mean by that is that they're hanging on trying to get through and having quote unquote, the discipline, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're not really there. Right. While I think intention is very much along the lines of meaning you have made this intention. That's very important to you and you will do whatever it takes to get there. And then the discipline's no longer an issue because every step you're taking is to make that manifest. And it has nothing to do with discipline. You're, if you want to call it meaning or whatever, you want to have that manifest. And I think that's the case. And so I think you have to get out of 
sort of white knuckling it and the discipline aspect to really having this idea of meaning, although most people don't understand that. No, I mean, I, I, and I totally get that. And, and, and this is why I think that people are so hard on themselves because they say things like I don't have any discipline. So they lack compassion. They lack empathy for themselves because they say, I don't have any discipline. And I'll say, have you ever done anything hard? And they go, no. And I go, hold on, think again. You know, if I'm talking to a woman, they go, well, what? I said, how much discipline did it take to push out your kid? Right. Was there any discipline at all? We go, no, I can't think of anything harder as a guy. I'm just talking as a guy, I cannot imagine pushing out an eight pound watermelon out of my ass. I personally can't imagine that. And I don't think that that would take any discipline whatsoever. I think I would just say, cut me the hell open and take this thing out. Right. Please. Use a uh, knife and fork. I don't care. I, I want to get the vision of something coming out of your ass, <laughs> out, out of my mind. <laughs> By the way, that's the ch chat I'm going to be having with the Dalai Lama when I meet him. <laughs> that would go well. Go well. <laughs> Passing an eight-pound watermelon out of my butt. <laughs> that's funny. Um, we are already at the end of our first first section here, so we're gonna we're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna come back. Uh, my guest today is Dr. James Doddy. He is a neurosurgeon. He's a neuroscientist. He's an inventor. We're gonna take a little bit of a break. We're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about how he came to be all those things and why he's written this brand new book that's become a New York Times bestseller and has gone into forty languages. So stay with us and we'll be back for part two in just